Hello, everybody. Welcome to a crisp December afternoon in the best little city in America. I am excited to be here today, excited to be with you today. Thanks for giving us a little bit of your precious time, whether you're tuning in from your car, sitting in front of a computer somewhere, in an office. Don't be frustrated when someone else takes control of the radio. The free Radio Pup app is easy to navigate. Looking for uh, uh, some uh, outlet there. Deck your house the, with lots of ace lights. For the lo- in your office. Uh, just hang with us today. We're going to be okay here. Um, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Uber producer Dan Peters is here in the studio with the latest in news and weather updates and the at the top and the bottom of each hour. And, uh, you know, it's good to have Dan here because when he's not here, I feel a little empty inside. Oh, really? Yes, it's true, Dan. It's true. And uh, so I'm glad you're here today. And uh, here's a life lesson, though, for you. Okay? Okay. I'll, I'll, ta- I'll soak it in because you are my elder. <laughs> this has taken me many, many years to figure out. and I did not know this until just recently. I'm not the guy you want when you're building a gingerbread house. Keep that in mind. Oh, yeah. So I attended this uh, little holiday event for the third graders over at Harvey Dunn yesterday. I got I got an invite from a third grader, and uh, it involved uh, doing this, decorating the little houses, you know, gingerbread houses. But we use graham crackers yep. instead of ginger, you know, gingerbread. Done it. Yeah, you you've been at these. The, you have lived this many times. Yes, I have. I have not. Uh, and so first thing I learned generally, I'm not a good. I'm not good at these kinds of holiday deals anyway. I, you know, it's just not, I don't exude that kind of holiday spirit in general. You know, it's just who I am. It's, o- it's okay. I, I, don't, I don't begrudge people their holiday spirit. But I went in willing and enthusiastic. You know, you don't want to disappoint a third grader. And it was clear pretty early on that I lack the artistic vision for these types of things. <laughs> okay? Your average third grader has a much better handle on how to build a gingerbread house than I do. And let me tell you, their parents, oh my God, there are folks out there who bring a much higher level of thinking to Zolchin. <laughs> they can make some fantastic gingerbread houses. I cannot. It was pretty humbling. Uh, big shout out though. I had a great time to the architectural artists out there who can do these things. And thanks to Harvey Dunn and that third grader for welcoming, welcoming me to the fold. It was a really good time. Uh, hey, we've got a great show for you today. Our guests include Tiffany Campbell. She is a former lobbyist in Pierre who says uh, that former state legislator and current nominee to the Board of Pardons and Paroles, Jean Abdallah, made inappropriate comments to her in a Pierre bar uh, several years ago. And that has been a much publicized conversation. And we'll talk to Tiffany about that and her recent efforts to bring attention to Mr. Abdallah's nomination. Kathy Brechtelsbauer. She is here. She's with Bread for the World, and she's bringing Autumn Tao, who is one of the past winners of the Human Rights Essay Contest for 7th and 8th graders here in the city, in the metro. And uh, we're going to talk about the uh, uh, announcement of the new winners here. It's coming up pretty soon. The Smart Cyclist will be in for Weird Friends. Our college football analyst, Jeff Harkness, will be here to talk about the uh, the uh, uh, coming game on Saturday for the SDSU Jackrabbits in the playoffs and the whole coaching situation for my coyotes down there in Vermilion. And I'll have a PL statement just after the break. Today's topic 
is uh, we got a stupid man update and I'm going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, being a public servant and actually serving the public and what that actually means. That's all coming up next on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000, KSOO. 314 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000, KSOO. And we'll spend the next few minutes trying to get a little closer to free. That's the Bodines. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is the time, the P&L statement, when I, you know, comment, I, I reflect, I reflect upon the day's news and events that are important to us here in the best little city in America and across the country. And you can't get away from the stupid man update today. Of course, we've been following this for a number of weeks now in our daily stupid out. Stupid man update is a stupid Al update. It is bye-bye Al Franken. Uh, Of course, Senator Franken said today he will resign in the next couple of weeks to, in the wake of allegations of groping from several women. He also took the opportunity to point out what he called the irony of his resignation in light of the Access Hollywood tape with Donald Trump and the potential election of Ray Moore to the Senate from Alabama. I wouldn't call it irony necessarily, but rather a disturbing set of political circumstances that create this cruel dichotomy. The fact is, Al Franken is from Minnesota. It is generally an enlightened place full of generally educated people who generally make decisions based on the power of ideas and the potential for leadership. We know Minnesota to be a civically minded place. They're good people, even though I make fun of them from time to time. In short, Decisions generally there are not based on party and the elections are competitive and rigorous. You have representation both sides of the aisle. It goes back and forth. It's a legitimate exchange of ideas in general. Moore is from Alabama and I'm not trying to cast dispersions on Alabamans generally because I've never been there. I don't I I hardly know anybody from Alabama. But from what I can tell, it's more important at this point to profess this religious zealotry than to actually live by any religious principle. And that's fine. I mean, that's fine. That's politics. More specifically, it's historic geopolitics. Franken had to go. Whatever happened, and he's still on the, on the floor of the Senate today, refuted these, some of these claims and said he remembers it differently. But his position was untenable. And when your position becomes untenable, you have to go. If Franken really has respect for and commitment to the rights of women in our society, as he says, then the resignation was the right thing to do. But I think he missed an opportunity here as well to say to his Republican colleagues that he would agree to resign if they would agree to expel more if he's elected. Of course, nobody's going to do that. And in fact, the Republican National Committee started giving Roy Moore money again. Much to the chagrin of many Republicans. I don't care who you are, which party you come from, but it's Very clear that Mr. Moore has at least a suspicious background of preying on young women. There's no way around that. There is no way around it. It's also clear that the President of the United States has an attitude of entitlement common to powerful men when it comes to relationships with women that are outside of accepted norms. That's pretty clear. But the President won an election. Roy Moore might win an election. 
it's clear, too, that many, many Republicans are not comfortable with more coming to the Senate or the RNC giving him money. That includes our Senator John Thune, who has called on Moore to step aside and urged the president to urge Moore to step aside before the endorsement. Thune's quoted today saying, I understand. I don't understand that move, he said of the RNC's decision. I guess that's consistent with what the president wants to see happen, but it's not consistent with what I've been saying. I just think, again, we're putting ourselves in a situation where we're going to have a cloud of uncertainty and a cloud of distraction come January. And Mr. Thune, Senator Thune, is exactly right. Franken did the right thing for the people of Minnesota by resigning. That's apparent. Let's hope that the Senate Republicans, in the case of Roy Moore, will do the right thing for the people of the United States. I'm not holding my breath on that one. Uh, in local news, and I think this is, you know, in the end, affects us more. There's been a lot of discussion here and elsewhere uh, on this program about the city council's debate and vote on Tuesday regarding the big $50 million parking ramp and hotel project planned for downtown Sioux Falls. Specifically, there's been much made of Councilor Pat Starr's attempt to vote present on Tuesday and then leaving the chamber when it was determined that voting president, present is not an option. Starr was trying to make a point after Mayor Mike Huther and Councilman Chairman Rick Kiley agreed to cut off public input. My first point is this. Councilor Pat Starr should have voted. I think he should have sat there and voted. That's why he's there. But my second point is that he was right. Okay, the increasingly unwillingness of Mayor Huther and some members of the council to listen patiently to the citizens of our city is disturbing. There's been this low level rumble going on for quite a while about the public input portion of the city council meeting that it takes up too much time. And then when big issues come up, you know, limiting debate. Sure. It can be painful to sit and listen to one citizen after another come up and give their opinions because, you know what, they can be misinformed and sometimes they're misguided and sometimes it's painful to listen to. Tough. Tough. Put on your big boy pants and power through it. Because the message from the mayor is clear. I don't care what you think. Now, I don't think that's what he really believes. But that's the way it comes off. The counselors who go along with this are complicit in the message. And it's not what they believe, but that's the message. To Huther's credit, and I have said this before, that in the weekly open mic portion of the meetings, that is maybe as annoying to him as, as anything, the mayor is courteous and gracious when he ends people's testimony, when they get to the end of their five minutes. I've seen that. It's when there's a major issue that draws significant public tension, attention, such as this project, that it really goes off the rails. This shouldn't be that hard, okay? It just shouldn't. You have to allow public input in these matters if you expect buy-in from the public. People are watching. They're watching on TV. They read the news reports. They pay attention, even when they're not there. The dismissive nature of this decision says if you don't agree, you don't get to talk or only some of you get to talk. It's that simple. You may think an hour is long enough if you're sitting behind the, on the other side of the table. But if people disagree with you, you're wrong. 
that's it because it's about public perception. And if they lose faith in the government and their ability to redress their grievances, then you've lost no matter what you believe in, no matter how sound your principles. And I support this project. The solution is clear. I mean, it's just so clear to me. And it is a practice in many public bodies. Set up a separate time for public input. Just do it. It's called a public hearing and it's done all the time. During my stint, three-year stint covering the Iowa legislature in Des Moines, I spent many, many long hours in the Capitol listening to citizens come and express themselves during hearings on whatever, whatever issue it was, okay? In one case, there was this taxpayer rights. It was just a huge convoluted deal, but it had been bubbling around for many, many years. And finally, they said, you know what? Let's bring it up for a vote. Republicans had taken control of the House of Representatives, and they said, we're going to have a vote on this thing. And that was great. They set aside three consecutive nights of public hearing on this issue. You don't think that took a long time? You don't think that was tedious, but it was important? That's clearly an extreme example. Okay, clearly. That's not going to happen here. But the point is important. Give the people the time they demand and the time that they deserve. When an issue arises like this that will attract more testimony, and you know when they're coming, you know when they're coming, and you think that it's more than is practical for a regular meeting, I understand that. You got all these, you know, I understand. Bundle it up. Take the input. Set aside two hours, three hours, whatever, at Carnegie Town Hall and take all comers and sit there and take it. And I know that it takes time. And, you know, there's so many demands on the city council's time and they work way harder than they should for 17 grand or whatever it is. Way harder. And that's, you know, that is unfortunate. We should pay them more. We should pay them more. But when these things come up, what is it, maybe three, four times a year, something like this hits? Schedule a separate time. You know, put it on the Monday before the Tuesday meeting. You know, because the feeling is for these people is they come in, they want to voice their opinion, but the vote is right after. They pretty much figure that, that most of the counselors already have their mind made up. And that's not the point of being able to give public input on an issue of import to the city and the citizens. We're doing it wrong. And yes, it's a pain to sit there and listen and listen and listen, particularly if you've already made up your mind. But that's the price of doing business here. Bring a beverage, some snacks maybe, Wear your comfortable clothes, sweaties, whatever, hoodie, and then sit your butt down and listen. What happened at the city council meeting on Tuesday has been portrayed as this, you know, great upheaval. I didn't, I didn't see it as that. It wasn't as tumultuous, I don't think, as people, other folks might think. I didn't see it as a great embarrassment or anything like that. It's just the machine at work. I have seen much worse in public bodies. But it's a disturbing trend in Sioux Falls city government. We can change this. 
We can do better than this. We can make it work. That's the bottom line on today's P&L. Agree or disagree with me, send me an email, patrick at ksoo.com. Always like to get email from you good people. Go to our Twitter feed, at P. Lally Show. Drop us a note there. Uber producer Dan Peters is man in, man in the Twitter feed at all times and uh, is able to respond or flag me or however you want to do it. Coming up after the break, it's the Smart Cyclist. And then we're going to talk football after that with Mr. Jeff Harkness. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 332 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And I play CCR here, proud Mary for our next guest, the smart cyclist. And we're not even going to get to the part here where that I picked this song for, which is, wait, wait, we might get there. No, we're not going to get there. That would take, oh, oh, here we go. Rolling, rolling. That was a long way to go for that, for the smart cyclist. It's a good song though, so. We're going to be rolling, rolling, rolling down the gravel road on uh, Saturday, aren't we? We're going to go play outside south of town. Yeah, so there's this thing called the Riddle Box, and it's a, uh, it's a, they call it the Ultra, because there's a, there's a run with it that's a long run, and there, there used to be, a, anyway, it's a 25-mile, like, gravel ride in the winter, and that's Saturday, and Michael and I, the smart cyclist, this is our first, you've never done this, have you? I've not done this. So I think this is their fifth year of this event, and I, I had not done it. So we're both all in, right? Weeks ago, we agreed to be in, and then we've waffled, and I've waffled, and you've waffled, and we've looked at the forecast and waffled. And I waffled on the ride in today. We should make waffles. <laughs> there is a breakfast sponsored by Fab, Falls Area Bicyclist, which is good. But it's going to be, I think there'll be a lot of people there. It's going to be a great event. We're, we're just hoping. I, so if it's in the 20s. Yes. How many layers? This is the question for me. Because yes. you're out there a long time. I know. Um, I'm, I'm doing this, this heavy winter shell and an Under Armour compression top and these rather thick tights and boots <laughs> and wool socks. That's not bad. That's see, you have a higher, I think you have a higher, uh, resistance you to the cold. To, you have to trust that what you're doing, well, you have to practice a little bit too, but yeah. you have to trust that what you have is enough and not too much. Because, yeah, if you get too much, right, you sweat, mm-hmm. and then you get cold after that. And if you don't wear enough, you're just cold. You're just cold. And it, but, it's really the feet that I worry about most. Yeah, and that's the hardest thing to keep warm, too. People do the chemical warmers. Yeah. That's not out of the question. I'll probably bring some for sure. And they've, they've got those little toe ones that stick yeah. to your socks. So you can get them down in the end of your shoe without wadding up in the bottom. Yeah. And it's, so, good. yeah, even if you're – even if you – um, are kind of repulsed by the idea of using chemical warmers to have them if you need them. <laughs> Seems reasonable. I, and, I am going to be packing quite a and bit. And you're riding the Fargo, right? 
I'm riding my Fargo, my Salsa Fargo, so, which is a semi-fat bike, three there's, inch. There's so many bags on that. I saw it out there that <laughs> you can carry an extra layer for me too, right? <laughs> I can. Okay. I'm. I'm. I'm going to go into this with absolutely no shame. <laughs> I'm going to bring the closet. Awesome. I just maybe I'll just use some of your extra layers. Well, there you go. That's maybe what we got to do. I I have I'm a chronic overdresser. I'm a chronic overpreparer. I'm a chronic overbring everything, and I'm not going to change. Right, because the risk of being underdressed is worse. It's way too high. I was underdressed when those what is it thirty mile an hour winds hit yesterday. Yeah, I was out at Yankton Trail Park. Oops, I got cold. Yeah, it was cold yesterday. So the Riddle Box that we're all both—it's uh, sponsored by Two Wheeler Dealer and uh, Fast, right? Fast is involved. Fast and Fab are doing food. Yep, Fast and Fab, which is Falls Area Single Track and Falls Area Bicyclists doing food, and uh, should be really good time. We start actually from Calico Skies Winery, right? Yes, start and return to Calico Skies, which, which are is great hosts. Yeah, down by Canton. It's in Iowa, right? It's in Iowa. Yeah, it's across yep. the river from Canton. Yep. Should be great time. And we head uh, out at 11, right? Is that Yeah, so it's that's a reasonable time. So 11, 12, 1, 2-ish return? Yeah, if we're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> if it's windy, it'll be, yeah, if it's windy, it'll be worse because we're coming back north into it, the wind. It's all, it's all, it's all going to be fine. It it's, will be fine. It's not hilly at all, but it's all gravel, so sometimes that can be tougher. Yes. So we're doing that, and... I am not really trained for this sort of thing. Let's just say that. My mileage is down. How down? I don't even know, but it's down. Okay. It's not nearly as high as it used to be. Yours is pretty good, though. I think you're going to crush me. I am, uh, yeah, heading for a similar biking year as last year and a significantly improved running gulp. I said running year this year. Like how much running? Um, 500, I have, I am six runs, six, six mile runs short of 500 miles. That's pretty good. I'm surprised at myself. That's a lot of miles. It is. Um, lots of it's treadmill. So I don't, and I'm not an experienced or entrenched runner to know whether that's good or bad or should be shameful or not. Well, because you never run that long. So that's a lot of runs. Yeah. And I think that's the impressive thing. Right. I think at the, the peak of my training my Ironman training I did one year like it was over 4,000 miles riding which isn't a lot really and then a thousand miles running and a hundred miles swimming that that was but you've got more miles than that I'm I'm doing 5,000 miles I hope to have 5,000 miles of biking and and 500 miles of running. That's a lot. I think I can hit it. I think that's pretty good. So that's why you're going to crush me tomorrow is what I'm getting to. I am committed to traveling and sharing the experience with oh, you. Oh, man. Not tomorrow. It's Saturday. It's I keep Saturday. saying tomorrow. Yeah. Well, we'll report back on that next week Yeah. to the good people. But we have another event coming up. And really, this is more broadly, uh, 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 has more of a broad appeal to folks. And that's in January. Yes. You should tell us about Fab. that is combining with RASDAQ in a bike summit of sorts. Um, FAB has its January annual meeting. RASDAQ has its January route announcement party. And they're kind of going to be, they're going to be at ICON, two different rooms for a little bit while FAB takes care of business, which includes inaugurating me as the new yeah, president. New president of FAST, woo, or FAB, woo. FAB. And then... Uh, and then we all going to combine to find out where Razdak is going this summer in June. 
Razdex, the big ride across the state of South Dakota. Yes. And I went last year for the first time and I'm committed to going this year again. Really? I do I do kind of a neat thing where um, communities that are communities put together bike rodeos mm-hmm. and then as the the bike instructor guy I get to go talk to the kids and say, Hey, I just rode across Razdak and when I do I do it safe or, I'm sorry, hey, I just rode across South Dakota or I just rode from <laughs> Kadoka and boy are my legs tired. <laughs> and talk about how it looks when I'm riding safe and all that and wearing my helmet and gloves and yeah. And taking water and it's fun to meet the kids that way and be part I of did that. I did a few days of Razdak. I should do the whole thing, shouldn't I? It's it's you should as a consummate South Dakotan yes. at least and a consummate rider, at I, least ride across the state once. I get I get concerned about areas uh say between Rapid City and Chamberlain. <laughs> or, it's not on the interstate, but you know, any of that kind of area, some of which is beautiful riding, especially along the river. Yeah. But then there's a couple of days <laughs> in between that are, that are long, flat, and hot. Long, flat, and hot. Yeah. But I should do that. I know, yeah. On those days, I joined with a group of three guys that I didn't really know that well, but uh, I know them well now. So, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> good. It's good. You should do that. Power in numbers, right? That's right. Yeah, well, that's fun. So that's January 11th? Yeah, it is. Down at Icon. And, and interesting to, to tie into uh, last week's conversation about bicycle-friendly communities. Yeah, um, which we are bronze. One of the, one of the checkboxes on the bicycle-friendly state checklist is, does your state have a bike summit? Oh, so and that's so, what this is going to so be. So because one person had the idea of, hey, let's have a bike summit, well, now we can check that box, and we might move up from 38 to maybe 37 <laughs> for checking that box. <laughs> for our state, not our city. But that's how, yes, for the state. And, yeah. But that, that's how it works. So, Person in the community wants to do something that's missing, and then we get the check box. So that's the Bike Summit on January 11th, RASDAQ, FAB. But basically, let's be serious. It's a big bike party. Yes, at Icon. The whole place is ours. Which is right downtown on uh, 6th and Main. That sounds good. Yeah, Main. 6th yeah. and Main. Yep. In the what is the Gorley building right in all that area? So, if you're interested in cycling at all, or you just want to hang out with cool people to do stuff, January 11th at Icon. Well, I'll plug that again. We will. We'll talk about it as yeah. we get closer to that. Absolutely. So, uh, Saturday, um, how you feeling? Really? Are you are you ready to go? You'll be fine. As I learned this from you. What's It'll be it? fine. <laughs> it's fine. It'll we'll be, be fine. fine. We will survive. Yes. I will survive. Hey, is there SAG? Yes. Thank they God. They wouldn't put us out there. <laughs> <laughs> Just leave us out there to left to our own devices. Good luck. I uh, hope you got a cell phone. <laughs> That's not frozen. <laughs> That's not frozen. Anyway, uh, smart cyclists, thanks for coming in for Weird Friends today, and uh, we'll, we'll report back next week. See you Saturday. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. Three forty-four on the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand KSLO. And I don't know why. I just thought, you know, college football. George Thurgood. You crank it up a little bit, you know. <laughs> Bad to the bone. Anyway, Jeff Harkness is here. From he's our guy. He's our football analyst, college football analyst from ESPN ninety nine point one, and uh, we like to bring Jeff in. And he's been in a lot lately, talking about college football and the uh, college football playoffs. And then my yotes are done. 
Yeah. And before we get to... Well, they uh, put up a fight, though. They did. It was a great game. It was. SDSU plays Saturday against New Hampshire. Right. Also will be a good game. Yeah. Uh, looks like the weather won't be too bad, so that'll be fun. But first, I want to talk about the Nielsen thing. Sure. So, first he was going to Kent State. Now he's not going to Kent State. Is he going to Kent State? Uh, apparently not. Uh, both he... Well, he says there was no contact at all. There were a few different reports that said he actually was offered the job at one point. Kent State is not some arbitrary place. I mean, Joel Nielsen, mm-hmm. who was the former athletic director at USD, is the athletic director there now. So certainly to think that Joel Nielsen would be paying attention to what's going on in Vermillion is not very far-fetched. And so i got to believe there was something in terms of discussions going on there. Now, whether there was actually a formal offer being made, I don't know. Bob Nielsen's stock is extremely high. I mean, here's a guy that won two national championships in Division II at Duluth. He then goes to Western Illinois, very bad program when he took it over. In three years, he had them in the playoffs. Then he comes to Vermilion. We all know how bad the Coyotes were mm-hmm. the last few years. And in two years, he takes them to the playoffs. And so he's got a reputation now of being a guy that can come in right away and do things. And he's not a flashy guy. He's a very, very business-like guy, wears a suit and or tie on the sidelines. And uh, it's, it's, it's not too far-fetched to think that he's going to be a guy in demand from, from programs that are struggling. And, and uh, the folks at Kent State won two games last year, yeah. this past season. And, and so they need some help. And they're an FBS. They're they are. Another, but the thought of being really bowl, I mean, you know, to, to get in a bowl game is a big deal no matter who you are. Yeah. And, you know, essentially if you're 500, you get a bowl. But to actually be a player in the the lar- I mean, it's not going to ever be Alabama. No. But it could be a very, very good job. And the fact that it's FBS means more money. Yep. You've got more resources available to you as a coach, which means a higher salary, which means a higher salary that you can pay your assistant coaches, which means you're going to get a better caliber of coaches with you because you can pay them more. We finally have gotten rid of the archaic rules in South Dakota where we don't have multi-year contracts anymore. That was a sticking point for a long time. Right. But Bob Nielsen probably only has a, maybe a stop or two left in his career before he decides to do something else. And so it was not, again, out of the realm of possibility to think that he might take that opportunity. Because as a coach, you've got to go when your stock is high. We saw this with Amy Williams, the women's basketball coach at USD. They win the WNIT. Her stock has never been higher. And yeah. then Nebraska comes calling. It's her alma mater. She could come back to USD, but Nicole Seacamp is going to be gone with, with Nielsen. Chris Trevler now is going to be gone. So yeah. I don't know, but Bob Bob says he's coming back. And they're going to give him a raise. Oh, no doubt. So that, that's what you do. <laughs> so that worked out pretty well <laughs> for him. That's what you do. Yeah. You know, and that's the world of, of college football. Right. Um, and they're probably going to pay him. He's making good money for South Dakota right now. I can't remember what the number is. It's in the 200,000s. in the twos. Yep. Yeah. Yep. He'll probably get over three. That's a lot of money right. in South Dakota, and it may cause some uh, hairs to go up on people's backs, but that's what you got to do if you want to be in the game. If he will not, if he's not already the highest paid state employee, he may become the highest paid state employee yep. soon. Yep. Uh, and Stiglmeyer from SDSU is going to be walking in and asking for a raise himself. Sure. Because they have a great chance to get to the next round of the FCS playoffs. They play New Hampshire, the Bears. It's the Bears. The right? Wildcats. Wildcats? The Wildcats. Oh, it's the Maine Bears. Yes. Maine Bears, New Hampshire Wildcats. They're adjacent. In Brookings. Yeah. Uh, 
should be a great game, right? The the Jacks just keep adding layers as they go along in the Division One years. First, they made the playoffs for the first time as a Division One team. Then a couple of years ago, they won an opening round game for the first time ever. Hosted a game against Eastern Illinois a few years ago. Uh, this is the second year in a row they've been to the quarterfinals after getting a first round bye. They added that layer last year, being to the top eight seed. Now this is the first time they've ever hosted a quarterfinal game because last year they had to go to Fargo. Mm-hmm. And we all know what happens when you go to Fargo in the postseason. Bad SDSU things. knows all about it. In the five previous years they've been in the playoffs, their season has ended in the Fargo Dome three of those five years. So they're just happy to be anywhere other than Fargo <laughs> right now. And to host a, a game is great. Now keep in mind, New Hampshire has been in the playoffs longer than anybody. 14 straight years, New Hampshire that's has crazy. qualified for the postseason. It's unbelievable. And they've got a coach that's been there 19 years. Stiglmeyer's been there 20 at SDSU. So these are veteran programs that don't do a lot of flashy stuff. And all New Hampshire did was go on the road to Central Arkansas and beat the number four seed last week and only gained in the process 216 yards of total offense and won the game because they forced four turnovers. Oh. They forced eight in the first two rounds of the playoffs. And they've gotten eight sacks in the first two games as well. So defense is really kind of what makes this team go. I was going to say, what kind of team are we talking about here? Uh, if they, they don't score a lot of points. No, they don't. But they also don't give up a lot of points. They're in the top 25 in points allowed in the nation. They only give up 18 a game. And in fact, in, um, in seven of their eight games uh, this year, the, the games that they won, they have allowed uh, 17 or less. And in fact, each of the last four, they've allowed 17 or less. And they're used to playing in the cold. They're yep. from New Hampshire. Right. And if it's, it looks to be a pretty nice day, not terrible wind, not terrible anything, but a little chilly. So that really shouldn't be a factor. Right. You're, the, you're looking for things at this time of the year. This will be their third straight week they've had to play. They didn't get that week off between the regular season and, and, and the postseason. They're on the road for the second straight week, playing a team they've never played before. But on the other hand, you could say, hey, they're playing with house money at this point. Nobody expected them to go to Central Arkansas and win. Right. So now they're coming to South Dakota State. The key is going to be turnovers because they um, they win games where they force more turnovers than the other team, and that's not an uncommon statement, but they do it especially well. And so right now the coaching staff at South Dakota State is concerned about limiting the amount of turnovers. That's the big thing they've got to do in this game. they just got to do what they do well. They're not going to get a lot of flashy stuff from New Hampshire on defense, but New Hampshire's got guys that are, that are really, really good. Um, they've got a, a defensive lineman, uh, Rich Holt, who has nine sacks this year. He's 6'4", 294. Hello. So if he doesn't get to the quarterback, he's going to get a hand up yeah. and knock some balls down. Are they, are they just enormous on the front? Is that part of their defense? He, yeah, he, he especially is a big guy. But, but what they do is they pretty much play straight up. They don't have a lot of blitzing and a lot of schemes on defense. And so they've been very effective just saying, hey, here's our four guys. Yeah. We're going to rush the quarterback. And uh, one of the other things that's interesting, South Dakota State has been kind of gambling on offense a little bit. They've gone forward on fourth down 17 times this year and been successful about two-thirds of the time, which is pretty pretty good. New Hampshire has gone forward on fourth down 34 times this year. <laughs> oh my so that's something to look for in the game. They are not afraid to roll the dice and, and press the issue. Now, th- they have some issues with the kicking game, and that could be part of it. Yeah. And part of it is they could have been in, in, in good positions or maybe playing from behind in a lot of these games, but they are 9-4. and four. But to think they've gone for it twice as many times as SDSU and been successful half the time. That's a high number. It's a very high number. Yeah. Do you, do you, uh, what do you think about the crowd up there? What, do you think anybody's going to show up for this game? Um, they've been a little off this year in terms of attendance. The problem with postseason games is nobody has a season ticket. Yeah. Everybody's got to go out and buy a ticket from scratch. So you don't have that built-in fan base that's going to show up every week anyway because they already have tickets. 
So you're relying on people to get out of the norm and go out and buy a ticket. Now it's mid-December in South Dakota. Now, like you said, Patrick, the weather's not going to be horrible. Still. It's not going to be balmy either. No, let's, to let's sit and not, watch a football yeah, game is exactly. it's one thing to play it. And, and and now the thing is, the game's not on TV. It is on the internet. It, it, it is on ESPN3, so you can access it via your computer. But yeah. it's not something you can go, say, watch on Midco or something other than that. Right. So, um, I you know, I would hope... I talked to Coach Stig today. He said 10,000. I, I think that five is probably a more realistic number, yeah. between five and seven, probably. Um, seven's a good number. Seven's a really a good number. I, I, I think it's kind of probably going to be closer to five. Yeah. I really do. But you know what? If you go, just yell extra loud. Yeah, that's right. Bring your cowbell. <laughs> you people in your cowbells. See how nice I am today? Yeah. That's pretty good. Jeff Harkness, he is the, uh, he's our college football analyst. That's what we're calling him okay. from ESPN 99.1. You know, we'll get you back next week. We'll uh, follow up on this and see where we go from here. Very good. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 356 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000. And there's the cowbell. That's for my friends, my SDSU friends, the few that I have. Should this be the, the battle of the cowbells? Because I could bring out the older. Oh, is that? Got the, yeah. Now there we go. Low rider. Donnie, play a little low rider there. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. Um, yeah, the old uh, Blue Oyster called here. They come back in. Oh. This famed uh, Saturday Night Live skit with uh, Will Ferrell on the cowbell. That's where the the Christopher Walken. Yep, Christopher Walken. We more, need, need more cowbell. I believe I'm not. I cannot vouch for this from personal experience, but I believe that they used that skit uh, on the big scoreboard up there at SDSU. So that's for all you good people in your playoff game on Saturday. You should go out. You should go watch your team. That's part of the deal, right? Coming up December 14, 15, 16, 17, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, it's the Christmas at the Cathedral at the Cathedral of St. Joseph, all four nights at 7.30 p.m. plus a 1 p.m. performance on Saturday and 2 p.m. on Sunday. Proceeds will benefit the Bishop Dudley House and Cathedral of St. Joseph ongoing care and maintenance endowments. It's a mouthful. You can uh, get more information, ccfesd.org, or, you know, as I've said, just Google Christmas at the Cathedral Sioux Falls. You'll find it. You'll get your tickets. Big event, really beautiful building, and uh, the money goes to keeping that landmark, that iconic landmark in our city, up and running and in good shape, and they've done some amazing things in there. Coming up on the show in the second hour, we're going to talk to Kathy Brechtelsbauer and about the... Uh, Human Rights Day uh, essay contest, and she's got Autumn Tao with her, she's, who is a former winner. And then we will, in this, at 4.30, we'll have uh, Tiffany Campbell in. She's the former lobbyist involved in the whole controversy over sexual inappropriate behavior in peer. That's coming up after the news with Dan Peters. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Four oh seven on the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand K S O O. And uh, as I've said many times on this program, I have a few fundamental beliefs. One of them is civil rights, and one of them is human rights. And so, 
we have an, a very appropriate uh, guest here today for the notion of human rights, and that is Kathy Brechtelsbauer, who's with Bread for the World. And uh, Kathy is involved with a uh, event called the Human Rights Day Essay Contest. I'm not, I, am I getting that right, Kathy? That's right. And the whole title is for seventh and eighth graders. That's right, for seventh and eighth graders. And on that note, you have brought with you yes, one of a, last year's one winner. of last year's winners, Autumn Tao. Autumn, thank you for being here. You can say hi now. Hi. There you go. <laughs> uh, so uh, Autumn went through this whole process. Autumn, you are now, or you are now in ninth grade, right? Yeah, I'm a ninth grader at Lincoln. And so where did where did you go to school last year? Edison. Edison. And so that's when you got into the whole process of this essay contest. Kathy, tell us about the essay contest. Where, why do you have it? Where does it come from? Okay. Well, s- uh, several of us realized a while back that um, this was uh, an event. Uh, I mean, this was a day, Human Rights Day, when we could be celebrating the Universal Declaration of Human Rights because it was signed on that day in 1948. And a lot of people don't or even realize that we have that day or that we even have that declaration. But around the world, a lot of people realize it. And so what does it mean we the, should too. the Declaration of Human Rights? It well, obviously came with the UN post-World yeah, War II. After World War II, uh, it was obvious that there were some people in the world, I mean, we were thinking about what the Nazis had done, uh, some people who thought other people weren't really worth as much as some people. You know, there were treating people as though they were not even human sometimes. And so um, the world community got together and, and came up with this Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And uh, so it's been, it's been used around the world. It's been the basis for some countries' constitutions and different ways it's used like that. And uh, on Human Rights Day, the anniversary of the signing, which is December 10th, that's the day the Nobel Peace Prize is awarded because of that day. And so that's the day we have our Human Rights Day essay contest for 7th and 8th graders. It's not just here, the essay contest. Is this something that has broader, is it done elsewhere? Not that I know of. So you just came up with this just Mm -hmm. for uh, Sioux Falls area. Sioux Falls students. Mm -hmm. And and it includes Sioux Falls schools, Mm -hmm. T, Harrisburg. And Brandon, because for a while we didn't have those the other communities in, but then it dawned on us there are Sioux Falls students there. Yeah. So they actually live in yeah. Sioux Falls. <laughs> yeah, they're Sioux Falls students. Yeah, that's great. And so when did you mm-hmm. start that? So this is the seventh year of it. Wow. Mm-hmm. And like how many students do you typically get? We don't know how many participate because a lot of the a lot of this is through the schools. We always operate through the schools. And so the students write in their classes. So they may have hundreds of essays out of in one school, but they're only allowed to send a few of them to the judges. And how does it connect to the human, the Declaration of Human Rights? I, I, you should probably try and, without, uh, you know, summarize what the Declaration of Human Rights actually says. Well, you'll have an example when, when, you, when we talk about Autumn's yeah. essay that she wrote last year because the, the topic last year, we narrow down the topic so the students have a focus. Last year, it was the right to seek a safe place to live. That's one of the human rights. And, of course, it, we had, at that time, you know, thousands, millions of refugees, which we still do in the world. And so it was a hot topic. It's not, so it's a hot topic, but we pick it because it's, it's a, a basic right of people all over the world. And, like, some, one year it was about uh, safe water for everyone. One year it was about universal primary education. 
These are things that should be rights for everyone. And so what was the, so Autumn's was regarding uh, a place to to live. The right to seek a safe place to live. That was last year's topic. And so what's this year's topic? This year's topic is caring for our global home, which isn't quite as direct from the declaration because in 1948, sustainability and, you know, the things that we're dealing with now about the atmosphere and um, global, the gases, greenhouse gases, and those things weren't, they weren't that well understood then, and it weren't, it wasn't as dramatic a problem then, and so it wasn't really mentioned in there, but it dawned on us that if you want to have these human rights, we've got to have this earth to live in, mm-hmm. so it now really you are, pertains. You're with Bread for the World, mm-hmm. um, and many of it, you've been involved in, uh, you've been an activist for human Mm-hmm. rights issues for a long time mm-hmm. um, but there are a lot of other organizations right. the, in a lot this. of groups helped to sponsor this uh, particular contest the Seroptimist Club with several Optimist Clubs the uh, Rotary South the uh, Refugee Congress mm-hmm. and um, it's a long list Augustana on. College yeah. I think is in there the education department at yep. Augie yep yeah, and a retired teachers organization, multicultural so it's, center. Yeah, it's really a broad-based mm-hmm. group that comes together. And and what's the prize? Oh, what so do I get when I win this bad boy? That's how we. <laughs> that's why we, ha- we have all these sponsors. That way, each group just pitches in fifty dollars, and mm-hmm. they come up with enough money for prizes. So the first place winner gets a check for a hundred dollars, and the two second place winners get checks for seventy-five dollars. And we have that same amount for seventh grade and also eighth grade three winners in each grade oh okay what'd you do with your money autumn uh i saved some of it and spent some of it what'd you buy uh i bought mostly clothes (laughs) well that's fair that's fair (laughs) we should mention that uh autumn's mother danielle is also in studio and smiling broadly you must, be, Danielle. Uh, you must be quite proud of this aco- this accomplishment. This is pretty amazing that she won this contest, is it not? Yeah, I, we we all in her family are, are so proud of her, and I think it means even more to know that she personally feels strongly about these issues, and and that helps when she has the feeling in in her paper. You, you'll t- be able to tell when she yeah, reads we're, it. Yeah, and we're going to hear the essay uh, after the break here in a minute. When at the uh, announcement, were you? What was your reaction? What did you feel when you found out you won? Uh, I was really surprised and really glad that I was going to be able to share it with the community. Um, And we are going to hear that essay from Autumn Tao when we come back here after the break. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 416 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And we are continuing our conversation here with Kathy Brechtelsbauer. She's with the organization Bread for the World and is involved with the Human Rights Day essay contest for 7th and 8th graders in the city. And we also have a past winner of this fine essay contest uh, with us, Autumn Tao. And Autumn is going to uh, read us her essay in a moment here. But first, Autumn, I want you to tell us, what's it called? A Refuge from the Storm. And we should remind listeners that the topic, the general topic was taken from the Declaration of Human Rights on everybody has a right to a place to live, essentially, right? Okay. Take it away, Autumn. Read your essay. Screams, booms, and tremendous crashes are the sounds that fill many towns and cities lining the beautiful countries of West Africa. 
One million civilians were displaced in the Civil War of Sierra Leone. One of these is a dear friend to my mother. In the winter of 2002, a young woman left her home in Freetown, Sierra Leone to escape the, from the death trap of her home. The long journey to a refugee camp weakened her body. Once she arrived to the dirty and extremely humble refugee camp, she was put on the very bottom of the list to be relocated. Just months later, she gave birth to a baby girl. It was a dark rainy night and lying on the sandy ground, she knew her life would be forever changed. Volunteers helped her through the painful labor and helped her name her baby. And the next week, she was moved to the top of the list and sent to be relocated in Omaha, Nebraska. This woman is very lucky. Even though she went through things that many cannot even imagine, many refugees are in these dreadful camps for an average of 17 years. Who deserves that? The people of Sioux Falls have done an excellent job welcoming incoming refugees, but we could do better by never ceasing to help these refugees thrive here in Sioux Falls, and also not leaving it to the few locations that help them, but we as community members can help the refugees by giving donations and just by giving our time. The United States, being a powerful country, can make a good and a big difference. So let's do that and help this worldwide crisis. That's very good. Thank very you. good. Now, reading it now, you wrote it a year ago, right? And yes. when you were an eighth grader at, at uh, Edison, now you're a freshman at uh, Lincoln. Yeah. Reading it now, do you have the same, what do you think of it? Yeah, I still definitely uh, agree with what I wrote, but I, it's interesting to go back and read what I wrote and know that I could now make it better and share more of an opinion that I have now. That never goes away. By the way, you, when you go back and read something you wrote, I've been writing for a long time. You go back and read it, and you're always like, ah, that was terrible. What was I thinking? <laughs> oh, I'm sure. <laughs> so are you a writer generally now? Are you interested in writing, or what is your interests generally? Yeah, I've always really enjoyed writing, and I think after um, being able to share my opinion through my writing has been better than writing the generic essays and things that we usually do in English class. Have you continued to write on issues, social issues such as this? Um, not as much as I would like, but whenever the opportunity presents itself in English, I really like to put my best effort into it. Yeah, uh, freshman composition classes don't give you a lot of uh, leeway sometimes, do they? Nope. Oh, man, they need to loosen up the rules over there at Lincoln. <laughs> I, let's get in hold. Let's get Superintendent uh, Brian Maher in here and get him on that one. What do you think about that? Sounds good. Okay. That's good. Kathy, so uh, Kathy Brechtelsbauer, uh, Bread for the World and an organizer of the essay contest. This year's results, the, when did they were submitted when? Recently, right? They were submitted just before Thanksgiving. And uh, we have panels of judges for each grade, and they return their decision December 1st. And so you're going to hear some really good essays if you come to the award ceremony. Which is Sunday. Which is this Sunday at 2 o'clock at the Multicultural Center. And it's just a heartwarming community event to hear, hear these kids reading their essays and see what good writers and good thinkers that we have coming up here to, to become uh, some of the great citizens of our city and our country. How many total then are there winners who will be reading on there'll Sunday? Be, there'll be three seventh grade winners and three eighth grade winners and reading then their essays. And mm -hmm. they, they are the top, and do they, mm -hmm. are there, uh, uh, well, those, that's the winner and the runners-up. Yeah. Okay, got it, 
Got it. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's finally sinking in for me over here, Kathy. I'm not that bright. <laughs> so uh, is it you just show up? Is it what kind of event is it at sure, the Multicultural a, Center? It's a community event. It's, it's open to the public. And um, people who come just find it's just a really special, special thing. Another thing that we do there is we read the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And we have a special way of doing that. We have each one on a poster, 30 posters. And people get to stand up in a semicircle and pass the mic, and each one gets read in a sort of simplified version everybody can understand. Is it uh, a, a collection of uh, immigrants, refugees? Uh, oh, who all are kinds the people, of people reading? Come. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people who come are students and teachers and families of the students. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So, Autumn, when you uh, were putting this together, you said that the, it's based on a friend of your mom's. Um, did you know right away that you wanted to tell that story, or did you kind of look around for a while before you found it? Well, when my teacher addressed the um, topic in class, that's kind of the first thing that came to my mind. But really, like, knowing how I was going to present this story took a lot more work. than. But from the beginning, I knew I wanted to share that story. So how many drafts did you have to do? Ooh, uh, three or four, maybe. Yeah. And was it... Did it uh, the focus of it stay the same, and you just playing with the the wording and the flow and that kind of thing, or did you say no? I I gotta re- completely redo this thing. Um, it changed a little bit throughout the as I was writing it, like as I wanted to aim it towards the audience, but most most of it stayed the same. What do you hope people take away from it? It's a it's a nice story. You tell it really well, but what do you hope they learn? Um. Probably that we as community members can make a bigger difference than we think we can, and that just by doing the simple things that we can help the refugees in more ways than we know. Um, in your experience, so you have this, this, uh, the story that you told here of the friend of your mother's, and do you, in your experience, have you, what has it taught you is what I'm trying to ask you, like in terms of your interactions in a very diverse school district and uh, how you interact with people from other cultures, other races, other ethnicities. Um, this process, has it helped you define kind of who you are? Yeah, and I've really been able to like tell, or n- not tell, but be able to um, realize that we don't really know people's story and that we can just aim to help everyone and hoping that we can help the few that really need help. And that's been a really good lesson that I've learned. What's it like going to school in the Sioux Falls School District these days? It is, I think it's way different than what people remember if they're, you know, middle-aged like me. Um, what's, what's it like to be in school at, at Lincoln and at Edison in terms of the, that all those different cultures, languages, and uh, approaches to life? Yeah, it's really diverse and you can tell that teachers really try to address that and that it's okay to have a diverse community and that we should be accepting of everyone. And I thought that that's been really good moving through different school districts. I really like how Sioux Falls is very... You went to different schools? Yeah. Where did you go before? And I'm not trying to disparage anybody, but where else did you go to school? Um, I, we lived in Rochester, Minnesota and in Missouri. Oh, wow. And did it, is it different here, do you think? Yeah, I think they put a lot more focus on the diverse community and how it's a positive thing to the students and other community members. 
is there t still tension in the stu between students? Do you see that? Um, I am sure that there is, but it's very um, only in certain crowds, and it's you don't see it very often. But generally, pretty good. Yeah. Cool. Kathy's Brechtelsbauer, remind us about the event, and uh, is there anywhere we can go to read these essays or anything like that? Give me all the details, no, Kathy. No, you can't read the essays. You have to come and hear the students read them themselves. Sunday at 2 o'clock at the Multicultural Center. It's the award ceremony. And we have closed captioning, so if people know someone that's hard of hearing, they should bring them or let them know to come. Outstanding. And often you get these reprinted in the do you have a okay watch the argus leader because they often print uh, afterwards they'll yeah. print uh, some uh, at least the top two there you go uh kathy brechtel's mm -hmm. bauer bread for the world autumn tau the previous winner of the human Re rights day essay contest for seventh and eighth graders and danielle tau her very proud mother thank you all for coming in today i really appreciate it you're welcome we're glad to be here Coming up next on the Patrick Lally Show, we're going to talk with Tiffany Campbell, a former lobbyist, about the uh, culture of peer and uh, some of the issues that she's gotten involved with in terms of sexual inappropriate behavior. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 434 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And as regular listeners of this program know, we've been talking a lot about the Me Too movement and the growing uh, uh, stupid man syndrome that is currently afflicting our country. And, uh, of course, the, it, it in con concludes or includes us here in South Dakota. And we have talked about the issues in Pierre. And we have in the studio to continue that conversation, Tiffany Campbell. Tiffany was the uh, lobbyist for the ACLU in 2012 and 2013 and so spent a considerable amount of time in peer and has gone public with some of the um, activities that she witnessed or was subjected to. Tiffany, thank you for coming into the studio today. Yeah, I really appreciate it. thanks for having it. me. So your story is pretty well publicized in terms of what you say happened when you were in peer, but why don't you briefly... <laughs> Uh, uh, recount for us sort of the experience that brought you to this place today. Sure. Um, I was, my first year as a lobbyist was in 2012 and I had a mentor lobbyist to kind of show me the ropes and um, he'd actually said if you want to talk to Representative Gene Abdallah to find him at Bob's Bar. Um, it's pretty well known that that's where he holds court every day after session ends. Um, so it was uh, early in the evening. It was still daylight out. I did not perceive Gene to be drunk, not that that would okay his behavior, but um, we were the only ones at, sitting at this table, and I said, excuse me while I go use the restroom. And he, when I got up, he motioned for me to kind of lean down so he could whisper to me, and he said, can I watch you pee? And I stopped for a minute, couldn't believe what I was hearing. I said, no went to the bathroom, and then left the bar immediately thereafter. So, obviously, uh, Gene Abdallah, he is, was a state legislator at the time, but he's a former head of the Highway Patrol. He's a former uh, U.S. Marshal, mm -hmm. um, very much tied to the Janklow administration for many, many years. Um, when you, did you tell anybody right away? That's always a question. Did you tell anybody? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I, I thought about it for a couple of days because when you're a lobbyist 
you kind of walk in a fine line mm -hmm. because you need these people to vote the way you want them to vote. So um, I thought about it and I thought, well, I, I would like to take care of this discreetly. Um, so I went to Speaker of the House Val Rausch and in the Argus Leader article, Val Rausch said that I met with him in his office, which is not true. Um, so it was a couple nights after, and I was at the Rancota, and Val walked in with some other Republican legislators. And I said to him, hey, I, I would like to talk to you tomorrow at the Capitol about something. He said, okay. Well, then I changed my mind. I said, I, I thought to myself, let's just get this over with before you chicken out. So I asked him to speak privately with me. So we went into the dining room area of the Rancota Hotel, and I told him what happened. He said, well, unfortunately, I can't do anything because it happened at the Capitol, or it didn't happen at the Capitol. So I was like, okay, and then we went on and talked about some other issues and never heard anything else from Val, never heard anything from um, Abdallah, never heard anything from anyone about it. So I figured no one talked to him about it. And I decided just to let it go because I knew he was, you know, he was up for re-election and then he ended up losing in the primary. So I didn't you know, feel like it was... It Gene was Abdallah done. lost in the primary. Yes, Gene Abdallah yeah. lost in the primary. So I figured, well, he's... And he never ran again, so I figured he's not going to be in a position of power again, so let's just let it go. We're talking with Tiffany Campbell. She was a lobbyist for the ACLU in 2012 and 2013, and she has uh, gotten involved. She is involved in an ongoing story about sexual inappropriate sexual behavior in peer, broadly, and uh, specifically dealing with the former legislator, Gene Abdallah. So that was, that story came out mm -hmm. a while ago. You were included in a story. Um, and as some other uh, women came out and told their stories on Facebook. Correct. As part of the Me Too movement. Correct. And um, I saw former Senator Angie Buell O'Donnell um, share her Me Too and then Samantha Spawn. So I also shared a Me Too. Mm -hmm. And then Angie Buell, who's a friend of mine, asked me if I would be willing to talk to Dana Ferguson and then also a reporter from KSFY because they wanted to do a follow-up. Dana Ferguson from the Argus Leader. Yes. yes. And so I met with both of them, and then the article came out on a Sunday, but they didn't name Gene in it. They just right. gave my story. Um, so then on Monday, um, Attorney General Jack Lee sent out a press release saying that he was nominating Gene Abdallah to the um, uh, Board of Pardons and Proles. So that's when I, I texted Dana Ferguson from the RES and I said, let's name him. Help me name him. And, you know, this wasn't the first instance of, of witnessing Gene's bad behavior. Um, prior to him. Be careful. I mean, I, I want to, I, I kind of want to stay to the, okay. the issues that okay. are here without making new allegations because okay. I can't support them. No, that's true. Know? And I'm, I'm okay talking about the issues surrounding mm -hmm. this because they're important. Um, the, but then, so you sent an email. I sent an email to, um, well, all 35 senators. And, and why did you do that? Because he, Abdallah needs to be confirmed. He will have a hearing in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. And I just wanted to let them know my experiences with Abdallah, um, and why I don't think he's fit to hold that to hold that office. Just in case there was any question about who the unnamed legislator was in the story. Correct. I mean, because they may yes. not know. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So I wanted to let them know it was Gene Abdallah and, you know, go from there. Um, and then I also sent an email to Jeremy Pankratz, who is 
works for the, I believe he works for the AG's office. Um, in 2013, I know he lobbied for them. And he's also um, Jack Lee's campaign manager for, uh, for governor. And I know Jeremy. Um, I know Jack Lee. So I sent an email saying, you know, um, this is what happened to me. Please reconsider. If you have any questions, let me know. Um, a few days later, Jeremy replied back saying, I will definitely forward your concerns on to Jack Lee. And then I replied back, thank you. Um, if I'm gonna, I plan on emailing all 35 senators. If you have any questions, please let me know. And I have not heard back. From, did you hear back from any senators? Yes. I've heard back from, from several. Not a lot. I wouldn't say more than 10. But um, I've gotten a lot of good responses. Um, most of them are saying that they will vote no. And I've also been asked to um, either give written testimony or um, go to peer and testify in person, which is what I plan to do. And it requires two-thirds? Uh, I can't remember. Well, first, I think he has to, he, it has to make it out of committee. Judiciary. Okay. Yes. How many members are on the judiciary? Uh, nine. Nine. Okay. Um, we're going to come right back after this uh, short break, and we're going to talk more with Tiffany Campbell about the fallout from uh, the emails and more publicity right after this. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. 444 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And we are continuing our conversation with Tiffany Campbell. She is a former lobbyist for the ACLU in 2012 and 2013. And she has been telling her story about some inappropriate behavior in peer and, uh, and that has been highly publicized. So, uh, and she's been telling us her story uh, regarding former state legislator Jean Abdallah, who is currently up for a position on the Board of Pardons and Paroles. And we have, uh, you have been talking about the, the story behind that, but what has been the uh, fallout from the comments after the story came out? Um, uh, pertaining to? Fallout from the comments, the, from Gene Abdella. So in the, in the story about you, mm-hmm. um, and and the emails you sent to to uh, the legislators, um, he had some rather harsh words. Oh yeah, he brought up my family life. Yeah, and he said, first of all, he he said that uh, if you would have uh, paid more attention to the family, maybe you'd be still be married. Right. And so you you had gotten a divorce in 2010 before you were a lobbyist. Right. Um, your react. What was your reaction when you read his comments? Because they were rather pointed. Um, well, first I find it a little alarming that he says he's never met me, but yet he knows I'm divorced. Um, and secondly, it shows his lack of decorum, his unprofessionalism to attack me that way, to take it personally like that. Um, and then you also, uh, you did send some information to Attorney General Jackley, as you said. Correct. And, and in the, he did not respond to you. No, no. And then he stood by his appointment of Gene um, when, he, when he spoke with Dana Ferguson. From, from the, the Argus leader. And he said, uh, he said if it was true, it'd be very serious, but Gene says it didn't happen. Yeah, he said if, if, if he did say it, it would be inappropriate, but Gene said he didn't do it. Well, And what was your reaction to that? 
he's the top cop in South Dakota. He's running for governor, and he can't take five minutes out of his time to call me and get my side of the story. He's just going to believe Gene. Mm-hmm. Do you I, know if he even asked Gene? I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know because no one will contact me. It's not like they can't find me. You know, I know Jack Lee. I know Jeremy Pankratz. They have they've not returned to my, you know, they, they have my email address. They can find me. And so your hope here is that uh, when Gene Abdallah comes up for nomination before the Judiciary Committee, which will be in January when they reconvene, right? Correct. That they'll vote him down. That's your That's, your that's hope. my hope. Are you, and you're going to go testify to the committee. Yeah. I mean, I would... I can't believe Jack Lee has not rescinded his appointment at this point. I mean, look at the culture we're living in. You know, uh, actors are being fired from, you know, shows. We've had a a representative resign. Now today a senator has resigned over allegations. And in South Dakota, our attorney general isn't even going to investigate it. It doesn't Mm -hmm. make any sense to me. And it's it's not a crime. No, I don't think... That it's, it's bad a behavior. criminal matter, right. yes. But if he wants to, you know, appoint the best people in, into positions, and he's heard some bad, you know, bad stories about them, he should maybe take the time and investigate them. Because he's the person who makes the appointment. Exactly, and it doesn't look good for him, especially when he's running for governor. What do you think this in this culture that we're living in right now, the Me Too movement and everything that's going on? What does it say about South Dakota? or peer and specifically that there isn't really any sense of outrage in, in the halls of power. Um, well, you know, I heard from a former Republican legislator who was in peer in 2012 and she said, I do remember um, that happening. I remember you telling me about it. And then I went into caucus right afterwards and they made a joke about it to Jean. And, uh, you know, just gave him a hard time and then carried on with business. So it's, it's, it's appalling to me that they would just laugh it off and not even talk to him and say, you know what? I mean, this could have been done and over with five years ago. I don't want to be talking about this. I don't want, you know, I'm not gaining anything from this. I have everything to lose and nothing to gain from this. And then why? And I think that's the question. I think that's an important question. Mm-hmm. Why are you doing it? Um, I'm trying to make the world a better place for my daughter. I want to live in a world. I want her to grow up in a world where she does not have to take sexual harassment and not, you know, and just carry on with her life. The first time I was sexually harassed is a reporter when I was an intern at a, a news station in Omaha, Nebraska, slapped my rear end. And I immediately wrote a letter to HR, and it was taken care of. Everyone had to go through a sexual harassment training. So I learned then, if you tell someone, something's going to happen. You know, people are going to be held accountable for it. I trusted Val Rausch. I actually liked him, so it pains me to speak poorly of him. Um, but I trusted him to do the right thing. I did not want him to go into caucus and tell everyone about it and, you know, and make, and make light of it. I just wanted an apology. Had he just gone to Gene five years ago and said, listen, I don't care if you said it, but this is what she's saying. Go make it right and go apologize. And I would be talking about it today. That's yeah. all I wanted. And the, uh, the legislator in que- legislator in question who told you that story is, and I apologize, I've, I've forgotten her name, but she is named on... Corey Heidelberger's blog, which yes. is a clearly left-leaning blog, mm-hmm. uh, and we've had him on the show, 
and he interviewed her. Her name is in there. She tells the story. Um, so if people want to go read that, they can at South Dakota free press.com. Uh, but to the, the point being, she's not anonymous. No, she will tell this story openly. Yes. Yes. Um, so the fact of the matter is that, okay, in 20, uh, what year was this? Did it happen to you? 2012? 2012. 2012. That was one atmosphere. Yes. Okay. You could maybe say that that was a different time, even though it was five years ago. Mm-hmm. This things have changed today. Absolutely. Do you expect, are you surprised that it, you said you were surprised that nothing has happened, but do you think that the broader culture and peer has been affected at all by the national wave of self-examination that's going on? I truly hope so. I would like to see a bill come forward this session that sets up a bipartisan um, committee or an office that people can anonymously go and, and talk to somebody um, about it because who, I mean, I thought Republicans were going to police themselves. Obviously, they can't do that. They can't be trusted to do that, as it shows in my case. So if we could have a bill that, um, you know, it, I, you don't have to go to the lead Speaker of the House. You can go to someone else, and they can investigate it. I think it would be a great thing for interns and legislators and lobbyists and any women in peer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Matt Michaels, who was in the legislature, mm-hmm. I think during when you were there, right? Yes. Um, has said that there is no culture of peer. There is no, what was your reaction when you heard him basically downplay? And now he's come back and said, oh, we need sensitivity training. Right. What was your reaction to what he said? Um, laughable. I mean, it's, it's, I don't, I don't know how he can say that. He's been in peer a long time. Either he's not listening to people talk or, uh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to. What is wrong with peer? I mean, that's the, that's the basic question. Is there some sort of, uh, uh, you know, penalty free zone in peer? Oh, yes. When I was a lobbyist, I said, um, it's like frat boy party for the entire three months. It is out of control. The drinking, um, the, I mean, and you have some really good legislators who you will never see out. But a lot of times, if you're a lobbyist, and most lobbyists will tell you this, you have to go out to the restaurants and the bars because that's where they are if you want to talk to them um, because there's very limited time and when they're at the Capitol to find people because they're in committee hearings, they're you know on the floor talking. Um, so that's just part of the culture. That's part of the job is to go out and find people and talk to them. And um, I mean, some of their behavior there, I was just appalled. Do you, one of the things that I've said is they need to end the free booze and food. Yes. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. It'll never happen, but absolutely. It's happened elsewhere. I don't know why it can't happen. Well, we can only hope. (laughs) Tiffany Campbell, she was a lobbyist in Peer from in 2012 and 2013, and she is involved in the conversation about sexually inappropriate behavior in Peer, and we'll see what happens specifically with the nomination of Gene Abdallah to the Board of Pardons and Patrols. Tiffany, thank you very much for coming in and telling your story. Yep, thanks for having me. This is the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO. <laughs> 457 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. It's Radio Clash, which means it's the end of the Patrick Lally Show.
Hey, everybody. I want to tell you about Miracle on 41st Street Toy Drive. From now through the December 24th, drop off a new toy, cash donation, or item of need at the Children's Inn gift wrapping booth in the Macy's Wing of the Empire Mall. Have your gifts wrapped at the booth for a cash donation to the Children's Inn. For a list of items of need, click on our website, ksmo.com. Drop-off bins will be also be set up at the Washington Pavilion during the Tonic Soul Fog Holiday Concerts, December 1st and 2nd. That's past. We're past December 1st and 2nd. I hope you gave. A special thanks to the Great Plains Dental, Great Western Bank, and Excel Energy for helping sponsor this year's events. Oh, Join us tomorrow. It's going to be another great day, another great show. Greg Jamison, former city councilor, current state legislator, and candidate for mayor of Sioux Falls will be in the studio for an extended interview. Also, the Buffalo Maiden is back in the Black Hills Bureau after a wildly successful studio visit last month, last week. I hope you'll join us. It's going to be a fun, happy hour edition of the Patrick Lally Show on Information 1000 KSOO.